Welcome to Season 3 of the Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. More history, more people, more of the stuff that got you here in the first place. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, jump! Hey guys, what is happening? Welcome once again to the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. I am Kyle, your host, and today's episode we continue the theme of our Hawaiian uh, podcast action where today we will sort of uh, work off of what we talked about in the last episode. Now, for those of you who either haven't heard the last couple of episodes or need a, a, a gentle reminder about what's going on last week, and the week before. The week before, we talked about James Cook, a, a, a British navigator, an explorer, sailor type, who discovered, at least, you know, in the, the, in the, the discovered in the white person sense, you know, the first Europeans to set foot uh, on Hawaii. So James Cook went to Hawaii for the first time for uh, the European type people. He was promptly killed there uh, the second time around when he stopped by. And then last week, we talked about the kingdom of Hawaii, which is basically a direct, uh, um, a direct effect from James Cook and 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 others now knowing that the Hawaiian Islands, you know, existed and that they were a cool place to be. So more and more Western type people and others as well, but you know, for the sake of of our story last week and the purposes uh, therein, it was those European types that moved there that eventually you know worked their way into local politics and then from those worked in ways of the local politics they then helped to uh, conjure up this sort of uh, fake story that helped them uh, uh, justify uh, overthrowing a, a sovereign kingdom of Hawaii kingdom of Hawaii that had made uh, that had made relationships with with many other nations as a sovereign nation, you know, of its own. It was a a country as much as New Zealand is a country, you know, as much as any sort of island nation is a country. And they were basically overthrown by these people who just really wanted to eventually annex them into the United States. And of course, as we know from from history itself, that is exactly what did happen. The Kingdom of Hawaii then became the quote unquote Republic of Hawaii, which was just a face for what would eventually become the territory of Hawaii. The territory being a territory of the United States, much like Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States these days. And eventually, in 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 the fifties, Hawaii then becomes the fiftieth state admitted into the Union. So. That's basically where we left off last week. So this week, we're going to speak more about uh, uh, what some Native Hawaiians are talking about, and that is trying to have Hawaii 
unbecome a state of the union. Uh, there is a grassroots effort called the Hawaiian Sovereignty Movement. And I think it's a very interesting story to tell. And I didn't really think about it all that much until, you know, fairly recently when I've been reading about it. And I just kind of felt like it would be a good story to tell for other people to hear. So this week's episode is going to be on the Hawaiian Sovereignty Movement. Guys, episode 45 of the Knowledge on the Couch podcast, the Hawaiian Sovereignty Movement. Stick with me. This is going to be, I don't know, maybe a little bit less of a a straight through history lesson in terms of, you know, going from uh, in a chronological standpoint. But I think this is going to be probably a fairly shorter episode. And I think, you know, what I want to do is I just want to talk about kind of the idea of sovereignty from nations you know that the that the united states has since occupied and that could be a great many obviously we'll use the hawaiians as the backdrop of the episode for the most part but i want to kind of just this episode is going to be a little bit more you know philosophical in and of itself but if we're we if we're going to talk about it we do need to talk about why the hawaiian sovereignty movement exists in the first place. Now, like I just said in the intro, um, Hawaii becomes a state of the United States in 1959 after having been a territory of the United States for about 60 or so years prior after the overthrow, uh, by the way, the illegal overthrow of the kingdom of Hawaii in 1893 through the rest of the late 1800s and then becoming, you know, a Republic of Hawaii and then eventually territory and that territory stretched for the early 20th century until eventually the United States made Hawaii a uh, a permanent state. Now, why the United States does these sort of things, it's really it's really a matter of modernized, you know, colonialism, modernized imperialism. Now, by no means am I out here being an asshole, saying, oh, America is a fucking empire, not a you know republic, that, that, this and that and the other thing. But you have to admit, when you look at the way the United States has handled things sometimes, it, it, it looks a little bit suspect here, there, and everywhere. And that, that isn't to say that other nations on this earth haven't also done things in suspect ways. That's just kind of the nature of humanity through history. There have been many what people would would consider unjust, you know, giving and taking of land here, there, and everywhere, all across all across the globe, you know, and there there are many arguments to be made. And this particular episode about Hawaiian sovereignty isn't to discount all of those other instances. And in fact, we'll probably talk about some of those a little bit during the episode. But it, this one is to just sort of show that yes, I do understand that that stuff does happen in a lot of other places. We are just particularly talking about this one now and the United States and its role 
in that in general. So why does the United States want to do stuff like this? Well, in 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 small part, the United States, after having gone from the East Coast during its 13 colonies stages, you know, kind of moving westward, the Louisiana Purchase, and moving west to the Pacific Ocean, you know, the United States at this point in time when Hawaii was overthrown and, you know, taken away from its monarchical roots, it's become this nation that all of a sudden is, you know, for lack of a better term, from sea to shining sea. And it's the power of the United States comes from its isolation, from the fact that it is this massive continent, you know, this massive, you know, continent spanning nation. But it's also far away from Asia and it's far away from Africa and it's far away from Europe. It's far away from everybody else. So you are allowed to grow. You are allowed to, you know, be more effective as a nation without really having a lot of, you know, a lot of competition. This is why Europe, you know, when you look at European history, especially from like, you know, the year 1000 to the year you know, even up to the 2000s now, but mostly earlier on, you see that Europe is basically always embroiled in some kind of war. Europe is extremely dense, full of tons of people, and a lot of these people hail from different nations and different cultural aspects, so they constantly were fighting with one another to reign supreme over Europe. That's because they are obviously all bumped up next door to each other, and it just is the way it is. The United States, on the other hand, was able to basically develop independently with only Canada north of it, which is basically Britain, and Mexico south of it, which had its own problems and never was really any sort of actual threat to the United States in in any way, shape, or form. But this isolationism, you know, has its sort of costs, and some of those costs of isolationism are that you are your own thing but you never really know what's going on everywhere else. You don't have your feelers out there. You don't know what's going on. You just, you know, you you don't have your stuff in a place where it's close to something, you know, should it ever have to be. So as part of the things the United States does, it starts to move its tentacles out from the main nation to grab other little things up and not like the United States is the first to do this this happens all the time i mean look at look at what basically happened once columbus you know crossed the ocean and bumped into what he thought was india and japan happened to be a new continent look what happened once everybody figured out that it was a new continent oh my god the colonialism just fucking exploded everybody was going everywhere putting their flag down on every goddamn thing you know it's a popular saying at some point that the sun never set on the british empire because you know they they had holdings literally fucking everywhere on earth that's the thing so like i said before the united states is not the first or only nation to do this sort of thing but they did do it one of the most popular you know things that they ran into while taking this other thing that you know they've taken puerto rico and they've taken alaska and this that and the other thing now alaska was you know purchased from the russians this that and the other. it's a different story than Hawaii. But either way, Hawaii itself is this kind of big island, you know, set of islands. You know, when you look at the South Pacific Islands and the North Pacific Islands, you see a lot of these little baby just, uh, for all, you know, 
terms, it's basically coral reefs everywhere, maybe little spats of sand here and there, and maybe a couple bigger islands and stuff, but like the Hawaiian Islands are these very, you know, relatively large, you know, centralized, you know, islands that are about equidistant from the United States as they are from from the mainland of Asia, you know, from Australia. So Hawaii is really this nice strategic little thing. And it got to the point, obviously, when we talked about last week, where there were Americans living on Hawaiian soil under the kingdom of Hawaii. You know, they were subjects of the the sovereign of Hawaii that plotted to overthrow Hawaii just so they could eventually be annexed by the United States, get the benefits of the United States, and their selling point to the U.S. was obviously going to be, hey, you know, we you give us statehood, we give you a strategic position everywhere um, on this side of the world. And the U.S. was like, fuck yeah, of course we're going to do that. We have a sweet new tropical paradise island nation. We can you know, send people there. Everybody's going to love it. We can put military bases there. It's a perfect hopping point to every other place on that side of the world. And to be completely honest, during World War II, now Hawaii was a territory during World War II, by the way, um, but during World War II, after the tragic events of, of the Pearl Harbor bombing, which took place in Hawaii, Hawaii was a launching point for the United States Navy in the Pacific theater of World War II to do what it did while it fought against the empire of Japan. So, you know, it is it is not only a a sort of, you know, theoretical thing saying, hey, the, uh, Hawaii is going to be very strategic, you know, in general, in theory. It actually happened in practice, you know, during this time. So the United States was very keen on taking over this giant set of islands basically in a colonial way basically for a strategic sort of mindset. And the problem with this is it doesn't take into effect the feelings and the the well-being or anything of the people who are already fucking living there. And that is a gigantic theme in world history and most especially United States history. People don't like to admit the United States is not perfect. Of course it's not perfect. If anybody says it is or anybody says that it is so exceptional that nothing could go wrong with the United States, then they are full of shit and and they just have closed their eyes to what the world is like. The United States has done a lot of great things. They've done a lot of terrible things, but they've done a lot of great things as well. Part of what the United States has done during its rapid expansion from the uh, late 1770s up to the modern day, when we're speaking right now, is taking land and, you know, culture away from those who are already in a place that the sovereign government of the United States itself wanted to take a part of. That's why I was saying at the beginning of the show, this isn't just going to be a show about Hawaiian sovereignty, although that is the title of the show. We are going to go through that a little bit. It's just kind of what the United States has done. Tribal sovereignty is a humongous movement in the United States as well between uh, Native American societies, those who were already here, those whose lands were taken from them during the American and Indian Wars, those whose whose children were, were shipped away to schools 
in order to be, you know, assimilated into American culture. There was no respect of a separate culture that people could just realize that that was a thing you do. It was like, hey, we're here. You don't get to have your culture anymore. You will assimilate into ours. And by the way, you don't have a choice in the matter. That's the problem with Hawaiian sovereignty is the same sort of situation. They were overthrown illegally, by the way, and then just sort of forced to become a part of the United States, even though there are plenty of people there now who are not entirely and 100% for it and are still advocating for separation from the United States and becoming again either a kingdom again or a republic again, but separate from the United States itself. So anyhow, Hawaii becomes a state in 1959, and for the most part, at this point, everybody just turns off and forgets about everything that you're talking about, saying, cool, you know, Hawaii, it's a state, it's a thing. What is What else is there to say about Hawaii's story beyond the fact that it's a beautiful, tropical, Pacific paradise? What else is there to say about it? But of course, in the real world, that's not where it ends, at least if you're one of these native Hawaiians. Now, of course, you're hearing this story from the perspective, and this is obviously your disclaimer, and if you don't know who I am, then I guess I don't know where the hell you've been, but if you are unaware, and this is maybe the very first episode of the podcast, first of all, welcome. Secondly, I am a white person living in Nebraska. I am literally from the middle of the United States, about as far away from Hawaii as you really can be. I, you know, I've only seen, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean a very small number of times. I don't live on an island or the islands. I live on what Hawaiians obviously would refer to as the mainland. And so obviously you're getting this perspective from somebody who is not a native Hawaiian. I just find it obviously to be an interesting story. But for people like me, and especially when I was younger, it's not like I'm just some sort of uh, woke bay who has known something like this since I was two years old, going, oh my God, sovereign Hawaii, I can't believe it. No, of course not. Of course, when you're younger, and even many adults just don't even think about that when it comes to this particular situation. So, you know, when Hawaii becomes a state, a lot of people just say, cool, the end, story over, right off into the sunset, um, you know, cut to credits. But in Hawaii, this is obviously not where it ended. Um, in the 1960s and 1970s, indigenous activist movements um, were spearheaded by Native Hawaiian activist organizations and individuals who were critical of issues affecting the modern Hawaii, including urbanization, which is a thing that is inevitable what, what happens with wealthy nations, and the overall commercial development of the islands and the corruption in the Hawaiian homelands program and the appropriation of native burial grounds and other sacred spaces. So, of course, once, once I guess you could call it the master nation comes in and is in charge, the new nation, the new part of the nation, the, the, the new kid in town is going to start to look a lot more like the mainland. And you see this a lot. You see this in Hawaii now. You see it in Puerto Rico. You even see it in fucking Guantanamo Bay. Everybody thinks of Guantanamo Bay as this, this awful prison place, and it sort of is. A lot of people don't know it's on. It's so weird. It's such a weird story. Maybe we'll talk about it later. On mainland Cuba. Cuba, the, uh, the island that hates the United States, the United States just about hates nearly as much. Haven't had trade relations for, you know, nigh on half a century or more. But there's this little 
speck of land on Cuba called Guantanamo Bay. And if you go and look, because it's a military installation of the United States, you look at the homes, you look at the school. Yes, because Guantanamo has a school for the military families that live there and so on and so forth. And it looks a lot like suburban America. You, If you were just to see a picture of it, you might not know that that is that. You might say, oh, that looks like a, a military base. You might not be able to pick out that that is Guantanamo Bay, that that is happening in a foreign country, in an island nation, in a tropical area that is not a part of the United States. So as Hawaii is becoming a state, you know, from territory to statehood, the 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 United States culture starts to move over and start to, to sort of transform the area from what it was like as native Hawaiian to what it's like as part of the United States. Now, of course, Hawaii is is part of the Polynesian diaspora. The, the Polynesian people uh, colonized, for, for lack of a better term, or, or sailed around the South Pacific and landed on these unoccupied islands and sort of just made their culture there, uh, Hawaii being pretty much one of the most northern of the islands, but Samoa and, and, and all those other places, and New Zealand even, are all a part of this Polynesian diaspora from different tribes that had very similar cultures. If you want a, 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 a great example, go watch rugby or even watch the University of Hawaii's football team that competes in, in sports with the mainland a lot. Watch a thing called the haka, this, this sort of Polynesian tribal sort of uh, uh, war dance, If for lack of a better term. It's definitely not that now, but it sort of comes from that thing. And that is a very much a, a, a tie-in of Polynesian culture that Hawaii shares with a lot of its other brothers and sisters in the Pacific Ocean. These are the types of things that we're talking about, the the the, the urbanization and commercial development of these islands and the corruption of the Hawaii Homelands Program. You're starting to see the United States' culture of its own start to come in and wipe that stuff away. Now, whether that is malevolent, benevolent, or just random and just is what it is, is up to interpretation. If you are probably one of these sovereign movement people, you would consider it malevolent. You consider the United States coming in and forcibly taking your culture away from you and forcing you to become as if you were a United States citizen, even though you don't identify with the United States. And this is particularly interesting in the Hawaiian mindset because Hawaii is so goddamn far from the United States. It's not like, the difference between people in Ohio and the difference between people like where I live in Nebraska and difference between those people, my people, and the people in fucking Utah and California. You know, there are cultural differences and shifts between the two among the states. But if you're talking about non-Native American, you know, Americans like me, there really isn't a huge shift from here, there, and the other thing. But there is a massive shift from here to Hawaiian culture, just like there's a massive shift from here to Native American culture, like the Sioux tribe or the Lakota tribe or the or you know any other tribe that you can think of in the United States that does act as sort of you know their own sovereigns within a sovereign nation. Now, there is a humongous culture clash, and you know, I, I can't say that they're wrong. You know, those people had the culture that they've grown up with for 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 many 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 years and all of a sudden their 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 kingdom is taken away from them by these random foreign people who lived in their country 
And now all of a sudden they're handing their country over to a massive power, the big bully of this side of the world, the United States, and saying, you know, we're yours now. You can definitely see why there are some people who really aren't too keen on the entire idea. The Hawaiian sovereignty movement itself during the 1980s gained cultural and political traction and native resistance started to grow in response to this urbanization, you know, the growth of cities like Honolulu and Hilo and others, and, you know, the overall native disenfranchisement. Now, that's a huge issue in bag of worms that we don't need to open up in this podcast, but it is very typical when it comes to those losing their sovereignty, their rights and stuff, is the disenfranchisement of the natives who are already there. It was a long time before Native Americans gained the same rights as those who were, you know, uh, Americans in the United States since, even though Natives already lived here and already existed, you know, before uh, those people from, you know, of European descent came that direction. There is disenfranchisement. There is inequality. And this was starting to be seen in Hawaii as well. Local and federal legislation provided some protection for Native communities, but didn't do very much to quell the expanding commercial development. I mean, who the fuck doesn't want to go to Hawaii? I, I'm talking about Hawaii now, and 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 you could probably tell by the tone of the podcast that I am at very least not anti-Hawaiian sovereignty. I don't, I don't know if I would say I'm pro it either because I'm not a part of that argument. I can't really make an argument in, in saying yes or no. I can only give you what I'm, what I've heard, what I've read, what, you know, sort of general ideas of what I think about it. But I mean, I would love to go to Hawaii myself. Hawaii looks like a really great place. It looks like a fun place to go. It's a tropical paradise. It looks beautiful. There is lovely and wonderful culture there. But my want, you know, my desire to go to this sort of place doesn't really predicate it being a state of the United States. It makes it easier for me because I just got to I could just fly there. I don't need a passport or any of that stuff. But even if I did, it wouldn't be that bad. It would be no different than me going to the Dominican Republic. You know, it's one of those things that. I think the United States loves about Hawaii and at least some of those who were in positions of power in Hawaii love is that you can quickly and vastly commercialize these areas. And this is a huge problem because when you commercialize, another thing that happens during commercialization is a thing called gentrification. The gentry being the, the base word of that being the, the upper class, those with money, those with power those with the ability to move others away, this is when you start to see those native populations, which tend to be poor because they were not part of the, you know, ruling class at the time, being pushed out of their traditional communities because there are people who want to commercialize and build whatever they're going to build in these areas, and it leads to to bitter feelings. It leads to bitter sentiment. And this happens all the time everywhere else. This is not this is not something that just just happens in Hawaii and just happened during this period. This happens in a lot of places. Gentrification and commercialization and what have you happens in a lot of places. And it was happening here. And native Hawaiian sentiment turns even more against the United States. Now, when I say this, of course, I don't mean every native Hawaiian. There's obviously native Hawaiians there who like being a part of the United States, probably just as much as their uh, native Hawaiians that would love to just throw the yoke of the United States off their back and be independent. But 
as we're talking about the sovereignty movement, those are the people we're referring to. The biggest thing, and we mentioned this, uh, I, I believe, just a tiny little bit at the end of the last episode, but I'll talk about it a little more in depth now. In 1993, a joint congressional resolution made an apology for the 1893, so 100 years later, overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy and said that the overthrow was illegal. This is a humongous thing. This is the Apology Resolution of 1993, United States Public Law 103-150, a joint resolution by Congress adopted in 1993 that, quote, acknowledges that the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii occurred with the active participation of agents and citizens of the United States and further acknowledges that the native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the United States their claims to their inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands, either through the the Kingdom of Hawaii or through plebiscite or referendum. Uh, The resolution uh, has been cited, obviously, as a major impetus for the Hawaiian sovereignty movement because, look at this. this, this is weird when you read this. This is strange. This doesn't happen. When you think of when you think of America, do you think of uh, of a person walking around and just apologizing uh, profusely to everybody? Of, of course, of course you don't. When you think of America, you think of a guy with an American flag in the air and a and, a, and an automatic rifle in the hand and just blasting away, no apologies. Fuck yeah, it's America. This is what we do. That's what you think of. When you think of America, you think of America as you think of a lot of its people, independent minded and somewhat brash and not afraid to speak their mind. You don't think of the United States as a thing that goes around, you know, being kind of reasonable and apologizing. But all of a sudden, a hundred years after it happens, the United States directly apologizes to Hawaii and acknowledges that the overthrow of a lot of of the kingdom of Hawaii was illegal and that agents and citizens of the United States participated in this illegal overthrow and that Hawaiian people were not about to give this up up it it happened and it was an apology made by the United it's crazy so in my mind when you think of common law you think of a precedent being set in a law that can eventually be used to argue further cases now this isn't exactly law this is you know congressional act this that and the other thing but it still holds up as a piece that you can use for debate and when you think about it in debate wise it's like if the place that has made you a state is apologizing to you saying that the only reason that you're a state basically is that we took you over illegally with people that we had there. When you say it that way, it really sounds a lot like a big wide opening for, hey, thanks for the apology. Now that you've acknowledged that what you did was illegal and that we didn't want to give this to you in the first place, can we have our nation back? That's what it sounds like to me. When It, it, it seems very cut and dry. Of course, it's not going to be uh, 100% so. But it's a very big step that a lot of these Native Hawaiian sovereignty movements, and there are multiple of them, use as a argumentation point, not just the fact that you can argue just based on the fact that there is a foreign nation basically occupying your soil, 
that's an argument of itself. But that the fact that the <laughs> that the foreign nation that is occupying you apologized to you and said what they did was illegal and wrong, that should be more than enough, you know, sort of uh, of language to be able to, you know, argue against what it is, argue against occupation of of your nation. Now, because of the language of this particular uh, this particular act, there came to be something else passed in 2010, uh, something called the Akaka Bill. Now, the the Akaka Bill was a a bill passed through Congress by Daniel Akaka, who was a, a a congressman from Hawaii. And the point of that particular bill was to basically conflate Native Hawaiians as Native Americans in the way that. Native Americans would then gain some control over their land and natural natural resource negotiations, much like Native Americans do with reservations and what have you in the mainland United States. Now, this is extremely unpopular in Hawaii and especially among Native Hawaiians because it's a total and utter just just shoo. You know, here's your thing. Go away It is a total just crappy piece of legislation that doesn't really do much to to uh, address Hawaiian sovereignty. It basically is saying, hey, you know, you're part of the United States and you're always going to be, and this is, you know, you are U.S. citizens, but we're going to give you some control over the land, so isn't that fun? You know, it's basically a slap in the face to these Native Hawaiians, at least in their mind, because they don't think that they should have to undergo that sort of bill because the land should just belong to them and their people, you know, or at at the very least, the land that they are occupying should be part of a either Republic or Kingdom of Hawaii and should have nothing to do with the United States, you know, at all whatsoever. So, you know, there are many different, many different groups that practice some form of, of Hawaiian sovereignty. Uh, there, there is uh, the Aloha group, the Aboriginal lands of Hawaiian ancestry and the Principality of Aloha. There is Kalahui, uh, the Nation of Hawaii, which is actually probably one of the more popular versions of that, led by an, a man named Dennis Pu'ahuana, uh, Bumpy Kanalahele. Uh, Bumpy, he's what he goes by, and that's easier for me to say than the fucking rest of his name. Um, and there are actual YouTube videos and other things with this man in them talking about the sovereignty of Hawaii. They actually occupy a small area around a lighthouse in Oahu, in Oahu excuse me, in a, in a beach, you know, near that area. Bumpy is actually a descendant of Kamehameha I, um, 11 generations down, and has basically become a spokesperson for, you know, the nation of Hawaii, um, just saying, hey, you know, this is something that we can do. They've made their own uh, license plates. They've made their own passports. They've done the whole shebang, you know, probably more symbolic than anything. But it's one of those things that obviously the 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 symbolicness of it all means something to these people. And it means that, that there are others that want to recognize this thing as its own sort of, of, of movement. Um, there are many others that I won't get into too much here, but there are at least a dozen, if not more different Hawaiian sovereignty movements. And, you know, we're going to start to just, I guess, sort of wrap up the, op- the, the, the episode now, because, you know, at this point, there's not much else to say about it. The Hawaiian sovereignty movement at this point is very grassroots. There are plenty of people who would like 
Hawaii to be given, you know, away from the United States back to the people of Hawaii, or at least the islands become their own sovereign thing. But because there are so many different groups, you know, trying to do this thing, then when you think about it, uh, 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 what would that sort of nation look like? Because obviously there are plenty of people who don't want the United States in their business anymore. And I, that's something I can totally understand. That's uh, it, it is what it is, right? If, like I was saying earlier, I wanted to visit Hawaii uh, with my wife on vacation and Hawaii was a separate nation from the United States and we needed a passport to go there, but there was no problem otherwise, I would be perfectly fine with that. It doesn't affect me in, in any way, shape, or form in that way. Um, but when you think about what all these different groups want their new Hawaii to look like, you know, just like a lot of things, who's right? Who's the, whose vision of a new Hawaii is going to be the one that, you know, comes to fruition? Because obviously, if you just are fair and say, okay, Hawaii is sovereign now. We're going to give everybody who doesn't want to live here anymore this much time to pack up and leave to go wherever you want to go. Um, or if you would like to stay, you will then become subjects of the new Hawaii and then you'll be subject to the new laws of the land and stuff. You're going to have not just native Hawaiians there, which is why the Akaka bill is bullshit to begin with, because it's a total it's a total misunderstanding of what Hawaiians want. The Hawaiians don't the native Hawaiians don't want recognition in the way that Native Americans do. They they want their island back and and they're making it an issue that the bill makes an issue saying, oh, Hawaiians are angry because of this and that, so we'll give Hawaiians this back. That's not the the point. Hawaiians aren't angry and want the little light rights back. They're angry and want their whole islands back. They want their country back. So, but when you think about it, it's like, what is going to be the country? Is it going to be the kingdom of Hawaii again? Will it become a a monarchy or a constitutional monarchy, uh, a la Great Britain? I should say the United Kingdom, Great Britain is the island, excuse me very much, geography. Um, or is it going to be a republic like the United States, but just the Republic of Hawaii or, you know, akin to like the Republic of California, the Republic of Texas, the Republic of, of Alaska, things like that. Is it going to be something like that or is it going to be something completely different? That's the whole point. A lot of these sovereignty groups are working towards the same sort of goal but I think their their outcome and the outlook they have towards it, they can't 100,000% agree on. So in my mind, when I look at Hawaiian sovereignty in this grassroots movement, I'm going to say right now, I, I would not be opposed to that sort of thing happening. I don't think, you know, it would kind of suck for the United States in the in the fact that you would lose, you know, the ability to have military bases there, although it hasn't stopped the fucking United States from having military bases in goddamn Germany, a complete and utter independent nation of the United States way over here. That doesn't stop anything there. But for the most part, I would assume that if Hawaii were to become sovereign, they would kick out the United States' military as well. Um, You know, it's just one of those things that would kind of suck a little bit, losing a strategic point, like we talked about earlier in the episode for the United States. But I don't really think it would be all that bad from the United States' point of view. You would just start to trade with the Hawaiians as you did before they were a state. You would trade with them as a, a, a foreign nation. You know, I, I, I think the, the, the really difficult part of this movement would be 
does the majority of the island, the people that, the people who want to stay, that's why we were talking about that before, the people who are like, okay, Hawaii is sovereign now, and I'm going to stay here. Therefore, I get a say in how the new Hawaii goes forward. Would there be a majority of those people saying, yes, we want to do things you know, this certain way, or we want the government to operate in this certain way? Would there be enough people that agree that Hawaii could actually flourish without the United States' involvement? Has the United States almost got them in such a dependent mode now that a now newly independent Hawaii would suffer without the United States? You know, has the United States crippled them enough in, in, in that sort of way saying, you know, you are our dependent state now and without us here, you'll have nothing or you'll be, you know, very poorly off in comparison that you were. Would that be the case? You know, that's just a rhetorical question for another time if something like this does happen. But I just wanted to really with this episode show people that Hawaii has this very interesting and checkered history, especially when it comes to the United States. I hope that over this these last three episodes talking about James Cook bumping in Hawaii for the first time, the Kingdom of Hawaii, and then the fact that there are lots of different people and groups in Hawaii that that feel that Hawaiian sovereignty is is something that should be done. This is stuff that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to our 50th state. You know, and I say our 50th state as a member of the United States. Obviously, I do have some foreign listeners. So for those of you who aren't part of the our 50th state, sorry about that. But you understand it's 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 the world that we live in. When people think about our 50th state, they usually don't put all that many things together when it comes down to it. They just say, hey, they're islands. They're out here. They're state number 50. Um, it's kind of weird that their state has a British flag in the corner of it, kind of like some of the southern states have Confederate flags in the corner, but eh, it is what it is, right? And, you know, you go there to have a fun vacation and, and, and you know, hooray, that's the end of it. I, I, I hope that I brought a lot of other parts of Hawaii to the forefront of people who've never really thought of that kind of stuff. And I hope that if there are some people who listen who did know a lot of this stuff, I hope that I did it justice, you know, at the very least describing what's going on and that there are other people in these places that don't feel the same way about Hawaii as as those of us who don't really give it a second thought. So, guys, that's going to be the entire episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed me talking about Hawaii for nigh upon three hours now. I hope that you enjoy the podcast as a whole. You can find this podcast everywhere podcasts can be found, including iTunes, which is now branded as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, every other goddamn thing in the world. You can find it there. Um, I have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Kyle has a podcast. You can go there, donate a very small amount of money per month to help me run this show and continue to pay the bills therein. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Search the Knowledge from the Couch podcast on Facebook, and you will find it there. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You can follow the show, this show, the entity that you're listening to at the Couch Pod on Twitter. Email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com. If you feel like it, if you don't, I don't really care either way. In fact, tweeting at me is probably the best way to get at me in terms of what the show encompasses and how that stuff all works. Guys, I have no clue what we're going to talk about next week, but I'm sure I will think of something interesting soon. I hope you enjoyed this small series about Hawaii. 
and we will continue forward with something completely unrelated as we continue to the march towards uh, the 50th episode of this podcast. So guys, thanks so much for supporting this show for the past year and going forward. It means a ton to me. Live long, as Spock would say, and prosper.